0: Welcome to the Volunteer Nation podcast, bringing you practical tips and big ideas on how to build, grow, and scale volunteer talent. I'm your host, Toby Johnson, and if you rely on volunteers to fuel your charity cause, membership, or movement, I made this podcast just for you. So welcome, everybody, to the Volunteer Nation podcast. I am so excited today to share... A conversation with my guest, Lori Gottlieb, and we're going to talk about the volunteer engagement cycle and maybe some new ways to think about it. So, Lori is a volunteer management leadership expert and consultant, faculty member at Humber College, as well as an internationally published author and workshop facilitator who's taught workshops to many diverse audiences, including boards and committees, associations, and nonprofit organizations across North America. And I should mention, you are our Canadian guest today. So she's she's dialing in from Canada. So Lori, welcome to the Volunteer Nation podcast. Thanks, Toby. I'm thrilled to be here. So we're going to jump right in. But you know, there are certainly innovations going on throughout the sector right now. So now's a great time, I think, to challenge some of our long-standing structures around volunteer engagement, in this case, the volunteer engagement cycle. But before we kick things off, Lori, tell us a little bit more about yourself.
1: Okay. So I've actually spent the majority of my career running volunteer programs. I'm Mm -hmm. even afraid to say how many years. I think I'm pushing 30 (laughs) at this point. I'm going to start going backwards. So I have spent basically my whole career either Uh, Working for a local, provincial, or national organization, either starting, you know, starting one up or leading one. I've worked in a variety of sectors, so I am hardcore volunteer management. The last five years or so, I've decided to go off on my own more permanently, and so I've been doing that, working with other nonprofits, built and taught the Humber College Volunteer Management Program, got certified um, from Better Impact, and. On the other side of the coin, I'm also a federal returning officer for Elections Canada. So wow. And what I thought was every four years so far has been three in four years. I have been running an election, and a little tidbit, I am one of two Canadians to run the first pandemic election in Canada. Wow. So my election, two of us, and we were under the, the microscope of the pandemic. And wow. it was very interesting. So wow. New set of skills.
0: Yeah, totally, totally new set of skills. So, you know, we're going to talk about the volunteer engagement cycle. But before we jump into that, I think we should sort of define what it is, because we've got listeners who've been around forever and a day in the field. We've got executive leaders, we've got people who are new to volunteer engagement. So let's establish a framework, sort of a foundation before we get started on how we might change it. So what do we mean or what do you mean by volunteer engagement cycle? How do you define it? What are the elements of it in a traditional sense? Okay, so I I see it as a blueprint
1: or a foundation of how a volunteer program needs to function at its core basis. So let's say the skeleton of a volunteer program. What Mm -hmm. I found interesting was I was doing a little research. That particular concept or the concept that that we're challenging began in 2001. Interesting. Something from Volunteer Canada. I'm pretty sure it was Volunteer Canada Uh that set the volunteer management cycle in a document with all of our leaders of the past. So, Susan Ellis, Rick Lynch, Steve McCurley, Marilyn McKenzie. Trying to think who is. (laughs) That's how long I've been around. Yeah. And so that was that that the foundation has been around for a long time but the world has changed so drastically that we're going to talk about that but basically it's the circle it's the from assessing for a job to recruitment and I'm going to use the words that that, that were being used recruitment sure. super, uh, interviewing or screening and interviewing mm-hmm. supervision mm-hmm. recognition mm-hmm. evaluation back to job design or assessment. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we look at that now and I and I shake my head. And I've been shaking my head for a while now.
0: Yeah. We, yeah. we shouldn't even be using some of these words. So it, I think the life cycle, it, so it's really trying to map out through phases, the life cycle of a volunteer from before when the volunteer role is it, or needs assessment. Do are volunteers even needed for this role Absolutely. or these roles or this type of impact the organization is trying to achieve all the way through exit and then back into redesigning. So it's a, a cycle that perpetuates itself. And it's, so it's the skeleton
1: that, you know, let's say you were starting a brand new program. That's where you got, that's where you would start in theory, but then it's the skeleton. So on top of that, there's these layers, and even historically, these the Canadian Code of Volunteer Involvement, mm-hmm. NOS, you know, the National Occupational Standards of Volunteer Management, those have always used this framework as mm-hmm. the jumping off point. So policies and procedures around supervision, policies and right. procedures around, you know, interviewing. So not only is it a standalone, but it also is something that has attached, you know, so like almost like a body. You've got the skeleton, you've got the muscles, you've got the skin and the whole thing. That's how that's how I see it. And I'm not saying that it's something bad, but I am saying that it needs to be looked at in a model that reflects the changing world. And some of those words like supervision, I cringe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what do you what do you think's changed that requires us to take a look at these components of this framework with a new lens?
1: Well, I mean, let's start with the, econ- the economy, mm-hmm. you know, let's start with COVID. Like the world is in a 10 year cycle. Everything that we do is cyclically about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I'm pretty sure this program or, or this particular set of life cycle steps I'm thinking is more than 20 years old.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm.
1: you'd agree with mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. So what's changed? volunteers have changed what they want has changed the way organizations are being run has changed pandemic you know and from that remote hybrid like all this new kind of you know Mm -hmm. things the stay-at-home parent who needs to change hours. so the type of volunteer what volunteers want technology Mm -hmm. has changed Mm -hmm. everything Mm -hmm. drastically you know the financial landscape has changed everything drastically You know, nonprofits Mm -hmm. are are struggling to survive. So there's a lot being thrown at the not-for-profit sector and organizations that are driven by volunteers. So these smaller organizations are being affected heavily in terms of that that whole concept of volunteer management because they're letting go of the volunteer coordinator, you know, Mm -hmm. or it's a part-time volunteer coordinator. So even the way that volunteers are being supported is changing. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a lot going on right now. That's what I'm saying. Timing is, is everything. And I think the volunteer management cycle mm-hmm. and therefore the sector is in for some big, big changes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you think volunteers have more, you know, I've been thinking and I argued about this in, in volunteer engagement 2.0 when I wrote my chapter for that book, I argue that volunteers are consumers and therefore have a consumer's mindset when it comes to, you know, choosing a volunteer opportunity and they have a level of, you know, criteria, whatever they are, depends on the person for what that volunteer opportunity is going to do for them in their lives. It's not that people aren't altruistic because they are, that's part of the picture, but people, you know, and when you think about the pandemic and, you know, pandemic epiphanies that are going on and people are doing quiet quitting and, and people are leaving jobs. And I think people have leveled their expectations of a workplace. Do you think that's also translating into volunteerism and volunteer expectations as a quote unquote consumer, for lack of a better word of someone who's Evaluating whether or not they want to jump in.
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, and, and the numbers are telling this. Like, I mean, there's been articles that have been written on this that, you know, the percentage of volunteerism has dropped in dramatically. I mean, I see the word the consumers in interesting work. I also see, you know, there's stakeholders.
0: Yes. So we have a series of, of
1: stakeholders that are mm-hmm. more and more vested in the organizations that they that they work work with or give to. So people are that are writing checks. Money is not as uh as available. So they want to ensure that things are happening. People that are volunteering want to have that relationship. So mm-hmm. w- agree 100% that volunteer for the sake of volunteering that I think it's still there. I think people obviously volunteered because they want to engage or help out. But we have layers now. So mm-hmm. you have a volunteer who's doing it so that they can build a resume. You have volunteers doing it because mm-hmm. they're early retiring. But you also have things like boards of directors are, are leaving in waves. Wow. You know, there's some major changes happening, but I agree. I think it's partnerships and I yeah. think volunteer engagement programs need to look at it more from a partnership perspective, from their stakeholders. And every organization will define their stakeholders differently. Yeah, so that's, I, mean, I think, the lens.
0: Yeah. I also think just in the world in general, if you think about the workplace, the top-down command and control model of supervision, for example, in a paid workplace, people don't want to put up with either. Even if they're getting a paycheck, right? Yeah. Folks are like, no, no, no. Especially younger generations, they're like, oh, no way. I want to be considered an equal partner in things, even if I don't have all of the experience I need yet. I want to be part of the. I want to make. I want to have a say in what impacts me. Agree. Th-
1: Agree. I'm not a hundred percent sure whether the nonprofit has. Uh, risen to the level that the profit has where mm-hmm. employees are basically i don't want to use the word controlling but definitely have a say in their destiny i think not profits again are such lean machines i i'm more concerned that people are losing the ro- losing their jobs you know that old model where right you know we get rid of this person and somebody takes on a second position that's what right worries me and yeah. then, then you start heavily look at volunteers again like this has always been our problem in our field is that the volunteer coordinator, and sorry, I'm going to get on the soapbox for a minute, is Mm -hmm. not well-paid, not well-respected, not well-listened to, and therefore, the better the program they run, the more at risk they are.
0: Yeah. I don't think that's changed. Yeah. You mean at risk for getting more assignments because they're efficient and effective? Or losing their job
1: because they've done such
0: a great job. Oh, yeah. You know, volunteer
1: programs are usually one of the first to get cut. Yeah, And yet, to me, the most important part of the program of any organization.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really, I was talking with Beth Steinhorn and Jerome Tennille, interviewing them about their new book, their collection that's just coming out. And we were talking about sustainability and the the relationship between organizational sustainability and volunteerism. And, you know, in our volunteer pro community we find that the or the uh, members who kept their volunteers engaged even when they couldn't bring them down to work you know we have arts and culture organizations that you know they couldn't they were they were closed you know the theater was dark but they were still able to keep in touch and and engage their volunteers and their supporter network and when time came to you know, turn the lights on, folks were there and said, yeah, absolutely, we will be here. And organizations that shuttered their doors and didn't maintain relationships are having a hard time building back. And so I think that's, you know, a really, you know, hard lesson about sustainability and yes volunteers they may it may feel like it's not obvious the connection between your organization's sustainability and the volunteer core that supports it but if you think about your organization as a entity sort of I like to think of it as a solar system with supporters all around your giant beaming sun the more support you have of all kinds, whether it be donors, volunteers, community partners, yeah, stakeholder
1: engagement. Yeah.
0: yeah. The yeah. more you have, the more sustainable you are, the more Absolutely. resilient you are. Absolutely. So, Which is
1: why this model has to shift into more about support yeah. and partnerships and less about that traditional, I supervise you, I interview you, you have to come in for, to do orientation and training. You need yeah. to do this. No, you don't. Like it's yeah. that that weekend. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to get into it. We're going to go through each step of the traditional cycle and talk about alternatives. How's that sound? Sounds fantastic. Okay. So we'll be right back after this break with more on how we might reinvent the volunteer engagement cycle with Lori Gottlieb. So don't go anywhere. If you enjoy this week's episode of volunteer nation, we invite you to check out the volunteer pro premium membership This community is the most comprehensive resource for attracting, engaging, and supporting dedicated, high-impact volunteer talent for your good cause. Volunteer Pro Premium Membership helps you build or renovate an effective What's Working Now volunteer program with less stress and more joy, so you can ditch the overwhelm and confidently carry your vision forward. We're back with our discussion with Lori Gottlieb around rethinking that volunteer engagement cycle that we've been, framework we've been using for decades now. Let's walk through, Lori, each of the steps in that traditional cycle and kind of rebuild or rethink what are the key things that need to evolve in your mind at each step. Let's start with role design. We talked about that before the break as one of our steps. What do you think needs to evolve there? So let's rename that, first of all, to assessment, Ah, because
1: it's bigger than the role description. Mm -hmm. Um, So I look at it as an opportunity to look at your program and as a whole, do maybe a little bit of a a SWOT analysis, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, what your opportunities are, what isn't going to work, and then set some goals Mm -hmm. as to what your outcomes are. How do you want the volunteer program to be part of an organization? And then from there, you look at the rules. And the rules can, you know, I think what we're dealing with now is some customized rules. So Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, the old day was, here are the five things that volunteers do for our organization. Yeah, put the square peg into the square hole. And we know over the past 20 years, there's been a bit of a shift. So we have, yeah, this is the job, but if you can only do part of the job then you do part of the job we'll find somebody else to fill in the other half of the job. Yep. Then we went into okay, now you can do the job part time. We're not expecting a year for you to do the job. Now right. we're expecting you to do it in a way that works for you. Yeah. So now I'm looking at look at the independence of the role. What can be done if somebody's working from home? What you know can friendly visiting turn into an online support group? Can we scrap rules that were traditionally this is what volunteers did. Mm-hmm. So there has to be a bit of, a, of an assessment. And that assessment is, again, cyclical. So as your organization goes through planning, so should the volunteer program. And mm-hmm. volunteer you know, leaders or administrators should be part of that conversation. So while your board and your executive director and your leadership are doing strap planning, you should be too.
0: Mm -hmm. So to me,
1: role one, you know, that first part is your own volunteer
0: management strategic planning. Yes. And I can't believe you said this because I've got to mention this. We are actually hosting the first week in December, our very first vision week. And it is a week of strategic planning where we take participants, our audience members through a week of strategic planning. And the goal is at the end to have a strategic plan for volunteer engagement. And so it's like a multi, and we thought, you know what, what can we, how can we help our field get a handle on things, because I I think most people don't even create a strategic plan. I mean, they may assess what roles they need, but they don't create, they don't work backwards from what are the organization's goals? Okay, how are volunteers going to roll up? How is volunteer work going to roll up into those goals? And what is a strategic plan I can give my leadership to say like, look, here's the plan. Now I need resources for it. So when I'm asked about workshops and, you know, people are looking at what, what
1: topics they want for their workshops, my number one for volunteer coordinators is strategic planning. So great. Really? Absolutely. How can huh. you run a program and how can you get at the leadership table if you're not thinking like them? If you're not thinking about, you know, what are the, what are the outcomes? You know, I'm not, I don't want to have a long conversation about strat planning. But, you know, you take that piece of that volunteer management cycle and you flip it into strat planning. For the volunteer program. And you'll see what comes out is going to be so different. Your yeah. roles are going to be so different. Your timelines are going to be so different. So yeah, big fan.
0: Yeah, L- I love, love it love too. Love crop
1: planning training. Love it.
0: Yeah, I am like a geek for it. Okay, let's... so. I will put a link in the show notes for this. We are really excited. It's the very first time we've given it a try and it's all online, which is hard to do sometimes. You know, I do like graphic facilitation and strategic planning, but that's all in in person. But we're gonna give it a give it a go and see if people can move forward into 2023 with an actual concrete plan of action. You know, what are you didn't even coach me. (laughs) I didn't even coach you. I'm like, wait a minute, I gotta mention this. All right, (laughs) let's get into the second. Phase uh, or second step, which is risk management. Yeah. Let's talk about how we might evolve in that area. So, risk still stays
1: as risk. Yeah. The question where we need to look at is as the roles have shifted into hybrid, virtual, Mm -hmm. um, third party, online, training online, you know, as we move into the technological side of things. Our ability to manage risk becomes a little bit more challenging because the volunteer is not physically in the building all the time. You can't watch it, see it, account for it. So I think volunteer programs are really need to focus on what are the realities of risks now. Yeah. Okay. So you got, I'll give you an example. You have a friendly visitor. You used to have a friendly visiting program. Like you said, we go to remote and now you're friendly visiting on the phone. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I had during COVID. The religious institution I belong to, I was getting phone calls regularly from volunteers. Love the idea. What risk was put in there? What mm-hmm. stopped, you know, that that what, what was that volunteer being taught what to do, what not to do? So mm-hmm. risk policies, procedures, manuals, orientation, training, that whole concept needs to be looked at from the lens of the different layers that we're working with now. So mm-hmm. we have volunteers that are in and volunteers at out and we need to use technology better so mm-hmm. there's sh- there's no reason why websites your website your volunteer management page shouldn't have a ton of risk material on there
0: yeah and okay. there's risk to, there's risk to people certainly risk to intellectual property there's risk to there's Our also a risk, risk. Yeah. Uh, there's also risk to reputation yeah You know, so agreed, you need to look at all levels and prioritize because you can't manage every single risk that comes along.
1: The further you are, the more arm's length you are for your volunteer, Mm -hmm. the more you have to give them the tools. Yeah. Okay. Because there is an accountability, there's a due diligence. So there are things that you need to do. So risk, risk is related to assessment. Risk is related to role design. Risk yeah. is related to clients and how that relationship is, Is you know, what is the, all these different stakeholders. So it's not that, you know, risk management as a title, I still like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I just think writing a policy and procedure book that nobody sees that sitting on a shelf and
0: mm-hmm. an
1: orientation manual that is not really reflective of the time is not what I see risk as today.
0: Yeah. I also think. There's areas of risk that were not traditionally included in risk management. For example, equity, inclusivity and equity is not something that was really traditionally part of the risk management conversation. But when you think about your organization living into its values, and if your values are diversity, equity, and inclusion, you got to walk the talk and it will impact your organization's reputation if you're not bringing in and welcoming volunteers from all walks of life. So there's definitely, I think risk has become more nuanced and even the way we mitigate and manage risk, for example, you know, with with the DEIJ conversation, you could say, well, the risk is, you know, we're going to do volunteer screening. Well, that's great, but is it fair and equitable the way that you're determining the suitability of your volunteers and who are you blocking from service, you know? that could be a great volunteer. And is it equitable to people? So, and everybody's got a cell phone. Yeah.
1: Everything happens in a second.
0: Yeah. So it's really interesting. The nuances of risk. I think it needs to be a much more nuanced conversation than it has been in the past. I think. Yeah. 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 Let's move on to people's, you know, we hear this in our volunteer management progress report survey, recruitment, recruitment, number one challenge always. So let's talk about how that might be rethought in our volunteer okay. engagement cycle.
1: Okay. I want to blow up that word. Okay? <laughs> nice. And every time I hear recruitment, I go, you know, if I see we need you one more time. <laughs> okay. So, you know, dear audience, do not call it recruitment. What are you doing? You're marketing. You are a strong marketing team. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the volunteer management cycle as a business, which is where you should be, then that proactive word is marketing. And -hmm. you're looking at, you know, the five P's of marketing. What's the product that you're selling? What's the price? Where are they doing the volunteer work? How are you going to promote it? The days of sitting in a community church basement with a wooden table and a, you remember the three, the, the you know, the, the cardboard things where you mm-hmm. took pictures and you pasted it on, uh-huh. on. that's yeah. what we did. We slumped yeah. the little thing and we sat down and we did it. Yeah, Use your website, use yeah. social media. I'm seeing
0: such poor uses of organizations' websites. Oh, yeah. like, I, don't get me started. <laughs> I did a, I did an episode on how to create a better landing page gang. I will link to it yeah. in the show notes. Anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a
1: marketing degree. Like I came from so- sociology mm-hmm. and then I went to marketing and my biggest pet peeve when I, like I teach a workshop, called, are you buying volunteers? or Are you selling volunteers? Mm-hmm. And one of the exercise that I look at is if you were going to buy a diamond ring, what are you looking for? And if you were going to sell a diamond ring, what are you looking for? And it's two different groups that did it. And oh my God, the answers were so different.
0: Yeah. It's the
1: same thing with volunteerism. So you have to look at it as marketing. So it's not recruitment. You're not Mm -hmm. recruiting people. You're putting out there the Mm -hmm. value, the benefits, the Mm -hmm. expectations within reason. But it's all about why would somebody want to volunteer for you? And you, you know, as well, know very well that volunteer centers that were the center of recruitment Mm -hmm. are also becoming dinosaurs in, mm. in many ways if they you know they need to get with with the program and all these apps are are starting up
0: mm-hmm. right mm-hmm.
1: and between instagram and twitter and all these things and then all these organizations or companies apps that are that are building up that are basically indeed you know met you know match.com
0: well and well and volunteer match has been around for decades i mean it's not a new app at, by any means, yeah. of the, but it's it's. it's I true. I think it's even not just marketing; it's digital marketing. You know that
1: absolutely. We it's do a ton do to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, we do tons of training on in Volunteer Pro around you know using technology to reach people on their phones. I and marketing is three hundred and sixty degrees. It's about listening as m- and understanding your memory? audience yeah. more as much as you know. You yeah. spend more time. When you're really planning a good marketing campaign, you're spending more time analyzing your audience before you even start to figure out what channels you're going to use. So,
1: yeah, and the volunteer management cycle does not focus very heavily on the recruitment side of things. So mm-hmm. the weight is really not not there. It's you know it's recruitment. So I agree with you 100. percent I mean, there's the left side which is networking and using using your connections because as volunteer programs, that's key to what you do. And then mm-hmm. you're right, embracing the digital because that's where it's at. Technology yeah. is taken over.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you think about any time you're thinking about doing something, you're sit- sitting around the couch, binging a Netflix series, whatever, and you say to yourself, you know, I wonder, hey, I'm thinking about doing XYZ. You pull out your phone and you get, jump on the Google. You, you type in your keywords. And folks are typing in volunteer opportunities near me. Yep. And if your organization's not showing up on page one of Google, nobody's finding you.
1: But even yeah. if you can't, and I and I can understand, you know, organizations don't have the manpower and the budget to be that high caliber technologically to get on that first, you know, to, to be that, that top 10. But at minimum, when they go to your website mm-hmm. and you click on, because you really can't control the homepage, but you can control the volunteer management page. A, if there's no volunteer page, that's number one. There should be. And B, put some time and effort into it. Yeah. You know, like use that as a introduction, as a screening. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, that's, and to me, that's a missed opportunity.
0: Let's talk about screening. Yeah. Where are opportunities in that step in the cycle? So we can go remote. Mm-hmm. Okay?
1: I think the days of interviewing in person unfortunately there is value to that is kind of gone i think that screening needs to be and it's a two it's a two-way screening mm-hmm. you're screening for the volunteer and the volunteer is screening for you mm-hmm. so you need to understand it used to be us mm-hmm. we want you to come and work for our organization so like you mentioned before it's now a partnership right so it's a matter of what are you looking for when do you want to volunteer You know, are you a snowbird going to Florida? Can you still do your volunteer work? So I Mm -hmm. think we can move remote Mm -hmm. for the most part on screening. I think that obviously from a due diligence, from a uh, security perspective, there's certain things that we still need to screen for. I think we need to put more steps into place for screening in terms of conversations.
0: Yeah, it almost seems like screening is a little bit obsolete as a term you know, it is. A bit because screening kind of intimates, like you're screening people out. Whereas if it's a two way conversation, then, you know, yeah, I'm wondering yeah. if it makes sense nowadays.
1: Well, I think it does. So here's, here's my issue. Okay, um, And it's probably not the law is old.
0: <laughs> the law okay? is old. The law
1: is old. So where we have to go and do 100% I, I don't know whether you you've been following Hockey Canada. Mm-mm. Okay, so there was an issue with sponsors leaving because of something happened. The board chair has resigned, and now the board has resigned. Mm-hmm. So you know the law is still old enough that mm-hmm. you got to do your check and your balance. If mm-hmm. we're not doing our fiduciary responsibility of some kind of screening, mm-hmm. role dependent,
0: mm-hmm. then right.
1: I'm going to, I'm going to step back and say, yeah, I want to go into that, you know, the 23rd century there, but I need to feel like there's a bit of a check and a balance. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. What about orientation and training? Where can we evolve there? What are so, the opportunities?
1: You know, historically orientation, so orientation and training are two different things. That's number mm-hmm. one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Orientation is obvious about orienting, orienting to the organization, both from a, a social, a role so there's all levels of orientation. It's not just about, "This is your organization, this is your org chart. Here's a big book of paper that you're going to get. Read it. Mm-hmm.
0: You know mm-hmm. you're done.
1: Orientation is about the connection and the building of the relationship between the new volunteer and the organization. And so a successful one is uh, orientation that has a hybrid of having conversations, learning from departments or programs, opportunity to maybe shadow. Plus, that due diligence side of paperwork. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, orientation is important, but it's more than just orientation to the role, it's orientation to the culture, orientation to facilities, like that section. Training this is where I think there's a huge opportunity, in and, in you know, old school versus new school. Mm-hmm. Training is ongoing and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Whether mm-hmm. you're training for role specific or you're training for equity, diversity, you know, training for communication, training for conflict resolution. Like there's so many opportunities to keep training so that your volunteers, A, are more invested and B, are better learned to Mm -hmm. help you run your role.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And then take it online. I just finished training for, um, I'm working for the municipal election next week. So Toronto is having a election. They moved all the training online.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. On demand. We
1: we have learned COVID, if nothing else has taught us orientation and training do not have to be physically there. And we have to give up that concept of touchy feely.
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, the challenge in online training is when, you know, with orientation, it's really a process. I always think of orientation as and teach about orientation as relationship development and induction into the culture of the organization, understanding the culture, and then basic safety stuff, et cetera, uh, policies and procedures. But really, it's about solidifying that relationship and that commitment to one another, right? From the organization to the volunteer and the volunteer to the organization. And it's
1: also a part of the screening process.
0: Yeah. Well, Uh I I debate whether or not orientation should be used for for screening or matching or, you know, for people to determine suitability because it's a tremendous amount of resource to spend. You know, I used to run a program where I at one time I did a little calculation about our binder. We we had a 35 hour training because volunteers needed and it was role and orientation together combined. And I figured out it cost about $200 to produce that binder for each volunteer. And we did it in person. So folks were traveling around our state And so it was tremendous resource to have only half of the volunteers come back and actually become active. So I said, you know what, gang, we got to stop using training for screening because it just doesn't, it's not a smart use of of resource and it's not a smart use of the volunteer's time either if it's not a good fit, right? But technology, so I agree
1: with you, but the beauty of technology is it has uh, minimized those costs.
0: Yeah, sure. So, you
1: know, you could do a group orientation, uh, you know, through a zoom call and then do a workbook or whatever it is. So that's, that's a positive. We've minimized certain costs when it comes to orientation, screening, and training by using our websites better. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about supervision and support at that step of the, that's a big, I mean, it gets put in a, it gets put in a step, but isn't it like all the way around the life cycle? I'm going to call it retention. I'm retention.
1: It. It's retention. Okay. It's all around the life cycle. Agreed 100%. But it's really retention. It's keeping volunteers engaged that want to be engaged. Volunteers do want to have a check and a balance. So supervision, you know, I, it's really hard to supervise somebody who is working volunteering from home as a friendly visitor or storytelling or whatever it is how do you supervise that? Well, you said to survey, that's not Mm -hmm. supervision. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to me, it's more about that support and that retention part. And probably, you know, it's, it's really a layered situation. So yes, there's some supervision in there again, accountability, but B it's how do we support your journey through this volunteer life cycle?
0: hmm hmm Yeah. I think, I always think of retention as a result. And, you know, I, I've often asked years ago, I wrote a blog post once about volunteer wellness. Like, should we have volunteer wellness programs or when, initiatives? And nowadays, more than ever, I wonder if this phase is really about that, about volunteers, helping volunteers achieve, you know, People are volunteering for a reason. I I think it's they're working their way up the on a subconscious level up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. They're mo- moving to self actualization as humans.
1: Possibly, you know,
0: people are living into their values. Their values giving back to the community. Now, certainly, people are getting other benefits as well. Yep. But you know, you think about the more well people are in their volunteering, the more the more their well being being is cared for, the more they want to stay, and the more they want to help. You know, it's an interesting. Kind of way to think a lens to look at it through obviously it's not the only thing but i always think about this this phase and how are we thinking about you know our the well-being of our volunteers especially with covid and it's just brought this to the forefront
1: but there is a psychology of volunteerism and that's why i think field of volunteer management is so undervalued and so unique like i once i got into field i never left it because it throws everything in the, into the pot it throws mm-hmm. psychology, it throws sociology, it throws economics, it throws technology, all of it. And, you know, you're, the more you embrace your role of managing or this volunteer management life cycle, the mm-hmm. more interesting your programs can be. So I agree with you. Like, I mean, you know, at the basics, are we all just following Maslow's hierarchy? Is it about putting, you know, food and bread on the table? Or is it about, you know, being able to say that you've helped others and therefore you feel good about yourself? Who knows? yeah who knows But but that's always been like this underlining of why we do what we do so that whole concept of supervision you can supervise an employee because there's an accountability of a dollar here you know Mm -hmm. i don't buy the whole supervision thing because let's say you Mm -hmm. you supervise a volunteer and you give them some criticism or some positive what are they gonna do they're gonna quit yeah so i'm not really seeing it as supervision maybe milestone checks, maybe, you know, check-ins, maybe mentorship, maybe coaching, maybe, you know, who knows what we want to call it. That all can fit in there. But the whole thing now is...
0: I wonder, yeah, I've always had an issue with voluntary evaluations, like we're going to do an annual evaluation of your performance. And I'm like, are you kidding me? First of all, in the employee sector, in HR world, an annual evaluation has become passe. It's not what cutting edge HR professionals do at all. It's more about the day-to-day. And I also think it's really about catching people doing things approximately right. Like, like, let's catch people, you know, positive reinforcement is really powerful and people do want to do the right thing. So they do want to get feedback in the moment if there's something they can do better. I ask a room of volunteers, would you like to get constructive feedback so that you can do a better job? They're all going to raise their hand, you know? So, but it really, you know, the evaluative side of things, I'm like, well, what are you evaluating? Like, you know, it's like,
1: (laughs) Uh, I'm a fan of, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of yours on that. I don't buy evaluation of volunteers. I buy Uh, evaluation of programs.
0: mm -hmm, Absolutely.
1: Okay. And all these steps within a program, are you successfully marketing? Are you successfully retaining? But to take a volunteer and do a you know, you're one out of five. You're like, I remember when I was teaching at Humber and they had to do a volunteer evaluation. Oh my God. Yes. No, yes, no, yes, no, no. It's about check-ins milestones. You know, yeah, you can evaluate a volunteer, but that's a conversation. So check in at the three month mark, check in at the, the one year mark, like the, whatever that conversation is, But it gives also an opportunity for a volunteer to tell you what he thinks.
0: Uh, Right. I mean, shouldn't the the goal be to assess the volunteer experience, their experience, and and have the organization reflect on that and make improvements? Seems to me that's the better approach at that point in, well, at all points in the life cycle, really. I
1: think at all points in the life cycle. Like, I remember, you know, quick story. I sat on a board, and uh, I was brought onto the board, very little information, very little orientation, very little. Anyhow, two years into my board seat, I didn't like things that were going on. I I was not happy with with the direction they were going in. There were a few of us. So year three, I gave notice, and I said, I didn't feel like I was bringing what I thought I was supposed to bring to the table. So I handed my resignation. Do you think that the executive director or the board chair Reached out to me in any way, shape, or form, or my friend who also had it in his resignation to ask me. Yeah. Why? Yeah. You know, that whole offboarding thing. So 100%. To this day, I still tell that story because I think it was a missed opportunity and one of those like basic lessons learned of volunteer management 101. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not just bringing them on, it's taking them off too.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about recognition as our final step. What are our opportunities there? And have you seen anybody doing this well?
1: So, well, in in recent years, it's really been about storytelling as Mm -hmm. part of recognition. So the concept of, you know, recognition as a step in the life cycle, you know, it's weird. That, again, becomes, it used to be one, uh, you know, prize fits all. Mm -hmm. Everybody got the certificate. Everybody Mm -hmm. got the little schmiggy, but you know, (laughs) that's gone. So what I'm seeing as recognition are again opportunities for education. So I've seen some really successful ways to acknowledge people by telling stories about them Mm -hmm. and relationships and the impact that they've made. So you have that outward and giving them opportunities to a be a mentor, be a coach. Mm -hmm. the leadership, and also having conversations with, you know, leaders in the the field that they want to.
0: So Mm -hmm. really,
1: it's a bit of a hybrid, you know, to me, recognition is both acknowledging education, and kind of that that statistical, because you did this, this is what happened. Yeah, yeah. People know know. a lot more of that, especially when we only had, you know, the last three years, uh, we've only had our website to work with. And we've only had our websites to engage volunteers. So you'd started to see more stories, but we're not seeing enough. Yeah. There is not enough storytelling going on to engage people more in the community.
0: Yeah. I love the idea of storytelling as, as sort of a way to make meaning of our experience. It really is. I mean, I I think about my family and, you know, we tell stories about my grandmother. I mean, she passed when she was 101 and she had like, 10 kids, 20 some grandkids, 20 some great-grandkids. I mean, I don't even know how many. Yeah. And then 12 great-great-grandkids. Nobody nobody can keep count, but we all share her stories over and over and over again mm-hmm. and it's the way our family makes meaning of our lives because we're descendants and also of our values and the way we do, you know? So it's a way of recommitting to a culture, to a set of values. It brings us back together. So I think it's a, it's a fabulous, it, it has multi-level effect when you're doing, when you're engaging in storytelling with volunteers. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you something. What do you think about the volunteer engagement cycle? I mean, we've kind of punched holes a little bit in some of the steps along the way that that they're not really a step. They're all, all the time. So related, yeah. Do you think a life cycle is the right model right now? Or do you think it's obsolete? What do you think about that? So- conceptually,
1: I do believe that we need some foundation to work with. So I think from a concept model, you know, given we shift some of those words around, I like the idea of still having something, you know, the bone, so that we can put the meat on the bone. I think if Mm -hmm. we don't have the bone, we don't have consistency across not-for-profits. Mm -hmm. So I think the one thing that we have going for us when when it comes to this volunteer management life cycle is that it's consistent across not-for-profits. It creates a commonality like HR practices that allow leaders of volunteers to be able to share and work together. If you Mm -hmm. blow it up, you're going to have everybody all over the place. And what you're going to end up is with organizations that only focus on marketing, organizations that only focus on retention. But Mm -hmm. having said that, it's got to be more reflective. Mm-hmm. It's got to be more flexible and I think it needs another word. So like whether it's volunteer management operations mm-hmm. or a volunteer succession plan, mm-hmm. or whether it's a sequence. Great. A so process. I don't like the concept of cycle, because I don't believe it's a, the word cycle works anymore, but is it a sequence or is it a volunteer management relationship? Because remember, it's also going to reflect or be the foundation of the questions that we ask and the operations that we build on it. So we got to yeah. be careful. Is it an evolution? I, I don't know. So you know, volunteer engagement mm-hmm. evolution, yeah. volunteer engagement yeah. succession
0: plan. You know, succession yeah. or operations. Yeah, I, I think I like life cycle only in that you can think about the volunteer side of things, and you can think of it as a process of. Volunteers changing as well, But you that's know. There's the
1: volunteer side of it, so I'm okay with the volunteers life cycle because that's the relationship with an organization. Mm-hmm. But from the volunteer management side of that, is mm-hmm. that really what we're running? Is a life cycle or is it an operations?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So to I get see- it from
1: your side, from a volunteer side, it's birth to you know, you know, I come on board. It is a life cycle, or it is a it is a path.
0: Yeah,
1: right. Volunteers walk a path.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: but from a volunteer management side of things mm-hmm. i'm not seeing it as a life cycle i'm seeing yeah. it as an enterprise
0: yeah 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 excellent well this has been fantastic lori just talking about not only this conception of a volunteer engagement life cycle but also just the different steps and really calling into question. And, you know, none of this has been not a lot of consistency across the field. I mean, some of these have been sort of solidified in terms of terminology. We talked a little bit throughout our conversation about some of the terms that might need changing nowadays. I think there's much more to come in the field, just in conversation about where we can head and, you know, volunteer engagement as a human endeavor, human to human and really engaging communities and our missions in new ways. Volunteerism is the, aside from, you know, financial contributions, it's really the way, the method or the pathway for the community to really get involved and have a say and understand what we do and share back out from our organization, back into the community, what we're doing. So it's still, I think, such a fantastic way to not only, you know, build on the sustainability of the organization, but just to involve the community and, and have the community have a voice in, in the directions we head and the services we provide. So let me ask you one more question before we leave. And I really appreciate you having this conversation with us and, and talking through how is it that we can make changes? What do we need to call into question um, about long held beliefs about our, our practices in engaging volunteers. But let me ask you one more question before we wrap up. What are you most excited about for the year ahead? Um,
1: for me personally, it's about back to teaching and, uh, and listening and hearing from people in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's been a couple of years since I've done a lot of, you know, a lot of teaching because COVID really knocked the crap out of everything. Um, yeah. So back to engaging in not for profit yeah. because I really you know doubt that that was a whole back to in person. Yeah. Just the concept we've lost a lot of our emotional intelligence concept the way the, the way yeah. we communicate with each other like yeah. we need to get that back and you know as you and I both know being in the field that we're in it's all about people and when mm-hmm. you know we've lost that that concept of people helping people. You know, and mm. people just engaging in partnerships. I'm looking forward to people kind of going back and, and helping others in multiple ways. So, yeah. But you know, the last thing I was going to say to you to answer that first question is, here's my soapbox. People need to think outside the box, number one. But the new generation, I just aged myself needs to be educated. You need volunteer management is not a field that you fall into like I fell into it. It's a field that has hard skills and accountabilities and I think that I'm hoping that those that run volunteer programs will continue to take workshops, you know, listen to your podcast, you know, in-person training and build better relationships with their leadership and don't be so afraid to come out of the closet out of the out of the basement room out of the
0: kitchen like <laughs> use those opportunities to be part of the leadership that's what i hope yeah yeah so that's an invitation to those who are listening that are leaders of volunteers but also some of our executives that are listening it's a great time to have your leader volunteers Or some of your volunteers come and have a sit down and have conversation once in a while about what's happening in the community and how the community wants to be involved. So great invitation to inspiration to make that happen. Lori, thanks so much for joining me today and talking through the volunteer engagement cycle, how we might change it, how we might evolve. And I hope it gives folks some inspiration to think in new ways. and. It's okay to let some old stuff go. It really is. (laughs) And embrace new. Embrace different. Yeah. You
1: know, the world yeah. is changing very quickly. So thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be on the podcast.
0: Uh, so thanks everybody for joining us for this episode of the volunteer nation. If you liked what we're talking about, I hope you'll share this episode with a friend or colleague who needs a little inspiration and of course likes and subscribe and join us next week. Same time, same place on the volunteer nation. Bye everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Volunteer Nation podcast. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review so we can reach people like you who want to improve the impact of their good cause. For more tips and notes from the show, check us out at tobyjohnson.com. We'll see you next week for another installment of Volunteer Nation.